You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. We go. We'll talk a lot about uh, the kick six, how Rod broadcast that, how he handled it, what he thought going into it, and how that entire play unfolded. But we'll get into much more with Rod Bramblett this week, who is the voice of the Auburn Tigers, who lives for the Auburn Tigers, and whose passion for the Auburn Tigers flows through every broadcast he does. Rod Bramblett joins us this week on PXPCast. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I have to go back to, to when I was a kid um, and what drew me drew me to this profession without me really knowing that I was being drawn to this profession. I, I grew up um, not much of an athlete at all, but I love sports. Um, I was a skinny little kid and, and, you know, never, never, never much of an athlete at all. Didn't play. I played sports, but I didn't play them very well. And, uh, but I'm I in the same sports. club, so, so it's, it's, <laughs> so I love sports. I was, I was borderline nerd geek, whatever you want to call it back in, <laughs> back in the eighties. But, um, my grandfather and I would sit and we'd listen, uh, to the Atlanta Braves radio broadcast almost every day in the summer. Um, and we listened to, to Pete Van Weeren and Skip Carey and Ernie Johnson and, and those guys. And, and I always thought, you know, boy, that would be so. That what a cool, cool job. They get to go to these games. They get to watch these guys play. And I grew up a big Georgia fan, so I grew up listening to to Larry Munson doing play by play. And um, and again, I just you know the way they the way they're able to to, to capture the moment and paint the picture or however you want to say it. Um, I, looking back after the fact, I think I think then. Um, I probably knew subconsciously that this was this was what I wanted to do, and um, I got in I got into radio my sophomore year in, in college as just a DJ on the weekends. And uh, a couple of years after that, I kept I kept bugging them and bugging them and bugging them, and um, finally they said, "Okay, we'll let you do some play by play. We've got a, we got a high school, a local private school that we we don't even do the games live." and uh, yeah, we, it was on tape delay and it was, uh, yeah, I said, I'll do it. You know, I'll do it. I just want to try it. I just want to see if I'm any, any good at it. And I wasn't, I wasn't any good at it at all, but I loved it. You know, I just, I just, I just love being around the student athletes. I love being around the coaches. Um, and you know, here at Auburn, uh, it's one of those, one of those rare places where radio is still really important The play by play team is, is still very, very important. People identify with with their, you know, announcers, the play-by-play guy, the, the color, and the whole crew. Um, so it's, um, I've been very, very fortunate. But uh, yeah, I think I think my roots in this business go all the way back to when I was little and I could play sports worth a darn, and, and uh, I wanted to be a part of it somehow, some way. There was a quote I found in an article that said you felt like you were always 
it, it's something that you were meant to do when you look back retrospectively. Um, yeah. What do you yeah. mean by that, and, and why do you feel that way? Well, you know, again, I kind of go back to, to, to what, uh, what I was just talking about when I was little. I had no idea then when I was young, uh, little, young, whatever. And I, I didn't have any idea that that would be my career. I had no idea how you would even go into that career. <laughs> I had no reason to think because of the fact that I wasn't a great athlete or, or even an average athlete or even a below average athlete. I was below, below. Uh, I just, I said, you know, there's no, there's no way, you know, how do you do even, I, the thought never crossed my mind, but, um, you know, I, looking back now, um, it just, it, it, it it's kind of weird. It's kind of karma, I guess, in a way, um, that I was, I would put myself in the spots, uh, that opened up doors to me and um, whether it be working at the, the, the local radio station and finally getting that chance, um, you know, whether it be, um, you know, finally getting hired by, by at that time, what was called the Auburn network uh, to do affiliate relations in 1996. I've been doing Auburn baseball for like three years and, and that opened up the door that eventually, um, led to me becoming the, the lead announcer, which I'm so very, very fortunate to do. But, but, but back to your question, I just, I just sit now and, and, and I guess, and listen, you're, you're young, you, you don't know what I'm talking about here, but as you <laughs> get older, as you get older and you, older in your career, you tend to, you know, you start looking back. I mean, you start, you know, when, when you're, when you're past the, the halfway point of your career, which I am, um, you start looking back and you just look back at all these little things that, that happened along the way. And, and, you know, you, and for me, it, uh, just all these little steps along the way, tell me, you know what, this is what, this is what I was meant to do. Um, whether I'd be good at it or not, I've been lucky. I've been fortunate as much as I've been, um, you know, been, and I've been in the right place at the right time for things to happen. And, um, to me, that's just an indication of, you know, this is, this is kind of what, what I was meant to do. And I'm very fortunate because not a lot of people get to find that, that spot, whether, whether it be in whatever career that they choose. Uh, but I've been, been very, very fortunate. You mentioned four names, uh, the Braves team with, with Skip and Pete Van Weeren and, and, and EJ, and then, uh, Larry Munson as well with Georgia. Um, as a kid, uh, you know, you said you liked the way that they were able to capture the moment and, and relate that to you. But now, even as you've gotten older and you've gotten the perspective that you have, uh, what do you think made those guys so good uh, and attracted you to them? Maybe even just subconsciously um, and attracted you to yeah. what they did in the profession? I think it's one word, passion. Just when you listen to them, you knew that they were vested in what they were, they were vested in the team that they were calling. They were vested in their job. They were, um, they were passionate about what they were doing. You could tell that they cared. This, this was more than a job. This was more than, you know, hey, you know, this is my next step in my next step in my career to get to this next level. Blah 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 blah. This was what they. This is what they were meant to do. This is what. Um, you know, I listen to Ernie Johnson. Pete Van Weeren is 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 my favorite because he's so he was so meticulous in everything he did, but at the same time he was entertaining. 
I mean, I listen to Pete Van Weer, and I know that looking back now, having done this for, for so many years, um, you can tell those guys were prepared, too. I mean, they did their prep work. But I think it was their passion. I just, you know, I, I just look back and, and um, you know, so whenever, whenever I got this job, I was taken over for a great, great, great play-by-play announcer, um, Jim Fife. And, you know, here recently we just we just lost John Ward at Tennessee and, and, mm-hmm. and Jim Fife. As you and I sit here and talk today, um, it was 15 years and a month to the day, I think, when he passed away. And um, as you and I sit here and talk today, it's the, it's the day in which 15 years ago they announced that I was taking over for him. But I, I just, you know, I, I, I think about Jim Fife, I think about Larry Munson, and people have asked me, what, what about, I mean, you know, you worked with one of them and you, and you listened to the other and what stood out. And I, it's the same thing. It's the passion in which they did the job. And, um, you better love it. You better have some passion for it. If you're going to be in it for the long haul, particularly at one place, because, uh, you know, it, 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 it can be a, it can be a grind. So two pronged question. Um, and number one, I know I, I, you have a diploma from Auburn. So obviously part of it is going to come from there. Um, sure. but, but where does, where does your passion lie for the team that you cover? And uh, when they win, how do you feel when you go home? And when they lose, how do you feel when you go home? <laughs> you know, that's that's the fine line. You know, I think, and, and I'm not saying this just me. There are a lot of guys out there who who have to walk the line in, in their play-by-play jobs between professional and fan. Um, people who listen to our broadcast have no interest in listening to a guy or a group of guys that are middle of the road. No interest in that. <laughs> they can go to ESPN or Fox <laughs> or wherever and get middle of the road. Uh, so it is a fine line between between that and being a fan. I, I probably have a little more fan in me than 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 most. But um, you know, I, it's um, yeah. I think obviously part of it is is I'm calling games for my alma mater, which is. Very, very special. I mean, just, there are not many guys out there that could say that. Uh, but, but two, I think it's, you know, when you're around um, a football team or a basketball team or a baseball team like I am on a regular basis, and a lot of guys are, uh, you get to know the coaches, you get to know the players, you know how much work they put into it to, to be successful both on and off the field or the court. And so you get a connection there. You get a you get a real personal connection to the student athletes and the coaches. And so all of a sudden, you're not only vested in your school and and how they do on the field or or the, or the court or wherever, but you're vested in these young men and women who chose Auburn to to, to come to and get an education and and compete and you know. And so there's there's this great desire to to to, to have them do well. Now, you know, after wins, it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's like any fan, um, you know, you know, mo- mo- most recently, um, the, the Auburn baseball team won their first regional, yeah. uh, since 1999 over in Raleigh, North Carolina, at North Carolina state, that, that moment watching those kids, um, run out on the field and, and celebrate was, was emotional, uh, for, for me and, 
And, uh, you know, the day that that doesn't become emotional for me is the day I probably should quit. And then you fast forward just a week to Gainesville, Florida, in one of the greatest baseball games I've ever watched played. <laughs> um, Auburn loses a heartbreaker in the winner-take-all game to go to Omaha on a line drive and extra innings that pops off of the right fielder's glove and goes over the wall for a walk-off homer. And that, I mean, that's you go from one Monday night or, or one Sunday with just just exhilaration to a week later, and it's as heartbreaking as it can be. But I took more out of the loss. I felt better after that loss because of watching this, the guys on that baseball team sprint to right field to comfort Stephen Williams, Auburn's right fielder. I mean, to me, that, that emotion of all of that, you know, that's, that's where you feed off of it. And, and uh, again, if you're working for one of the big boys and, and you, you know, you're not, you're not doing play-by-play for a school like, like we are, um, you know, you have to be middle of the road. Um, I'm glad I don't. I, you know, I just, I don't know if I could ever do it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, the passion is you, you draw it for me, you draw it from two places. You draw it from the, in fact, you're doing the games for your alma mater. And the other is, is just, you get to know these kids and these coaches and it becomes a personal thing for you. Tell me about that side of it a little bit more. Uh, you know, I've seen quotes where you've said that, you know, that's what's still cool about it to you. And, and that brings out the fan in you when you get to know the student athlete. Um, number one, and this is a more broad question. Uh, how do you go about doing that? Kind of what's your approach in terms of developing relationships with the athletes? Uh, and then B, over time, how has that changed as you've gotten older, they've stayed the same age and, yeah. and cultures have changed a little bit as well. It has changed a lot. You know, I can, I think back particularly with baseball. I just, I just finished up my 26 years. So when I started, I was 27 years old and that's a much closer age to those <laughs> kids. And I can see, you know, man, I, 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 it was much easier to relate to the kids than it is now. But, um, you know, the keys with the, the key with the student athletes is just, you know, just being around them, being accessible to them, you know, going to practice, um, you you listen, you know, basketball and baseball, it's a lot easier to get to know these kids than it is football. Yeah. It's just such a bigger deal. If there are more of them, they're just harder. Um, you, you don't have the one-on-one interaction that, that you normally do uh, with, with, with basketball or baseball. And, uh, you know, when you travel with, with those latter two sports, you're, you're, you're with them for more amount, longer amounts of time. So it's, easier to develop those relationships um, than it is with football. I think with football, it's probably more as important, if not more important, to, to during the week being around the coaches and, and, and developing that relationship with those guys. So, um, but yeah, it has changed. You know, it has changed. It has become much easier for me to develop relationships with the coaches quicker than it is the kids because <laughs> yeah. the interests are different. You know, the, the attention span is different, that's for sure. And uh, um, but but I've been very very fortunate to be around a lot of a lot of just amazing student athletes, and and um, you know from those that whose names you would recognize to those who never were ever going to do anything beyond college. Um, you know, it's cool to be able to still stay in touch with with those kids. Well, let me ask you about a guy like you know if we're talking like a Cam Newton. Um, in terms of being the Auburn voice and wanting to convey uh, information about him and his story that is um, 
maybe unique to your audience. Uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot written about a guy like that. Um, but how do you how do you how do you talk to a guy like that and and have a relationship with a guy like that when uh, he's not around long and when he is around everybody wants to talk to him and it's hard to be able to get something um, about him that right. isn't kind of a mainstream news article already. Cam is a Cam is probably the most unique case that you could have brought up. Um, you compare Cam Newton to uh, uh, Jared Stidham now, Auburn's quarterback. It's much easier to get to Jarrett on a regular basis just to just to see him. Uh, I'm 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 so fortunate here. Uh, even though I don't work for the university or the athletic department, my office is in in the old basketball arena. And uh, there's some academic folks and that type of thing that are on our hallway. So I get to see student athletes coming down, up and down our hall all the time. And Jarrett's one that always stops by and says hi. We'll talk a little bit. Cam Newton was a different. He was a different beast all the way around. Um, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. He not many people got to know Cam Newton while he was here. It was just, and it's not that he was a bad kid. It's just that the demands on his time was so were so great. Yeah. Um, in that in that one year, imagine the spotlight in that one year. How bright, hot it was. And this kid still had to go to class. And 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 by the way, he made good grades too while he was here. A lot of people just assume, well, he never went to class. He was never going to be there more than a year. Well, that's not true. Um, but he was just harder. They 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 being asked the football staff. Uh, support staff, coaches, whatever they they kept Cam in a in a little bit of a bubble because they wanted they, they just they just could see how demanding that the uh, demanding it could be for him to balance you know being a student athlete or being a a, a major college football player, best player in the country, and a student at the same time. So Cam, I you know what I don't have I didn't get an opportunity to really get to know Cam that much. Um. You know, it just, it was just, it was kind of a, it was an odd year in the sense that, that, yeah, he was here and gone, but what an incredible year and a national championship. But that's a rare case. I mean, that really is a rare, Cam's a rare case. Most of, most of anybody else you would ask me about, I could say, yeah, you know, um, again, it just goes back to, to being around and getting to know him. But with, with Cam, it was, uh, it was very, very different. And, and the neat thing is that, that could have easily turned into something negative with the team, you know, mm. because you get, you get that one guy and all of a sudden it appears that he's getting special treatment. He was just getting different treatment. He wasn't getting better treatment. He was just getting different treatment <laughs> uh, than the, the normal student athlete, but it didn't. That was a, that was a group of kids on that 2010 team that, that were made up, I think of 30 seniors, the biggest senior class ever uh, for an Auburn football team. And the fact that they were such an older, mature team, I think, helped helped kind of get past anything that would have been distracting or negative um, about the way they had to handle Cam because of all the attention that was surrounding him. What was broadcasting a national championship like in 2010? Well, you know, you don't you don't have time, and you know how it is during a season. You're just you just you're holding on for dear life. You don't have a lot of time to sit and appreciate what's going on until after the season. But, um, you know, you could see that, that, that Auburn was headed towards something 
pretty special as you got in the last last month of the year and had something special with Cam and all of that. But, um, you know, it was one of those deals where you, you didn't, for Auburn, uh, it was the first time since 1957 that, that they had won one. And, um, you know, that, that week in, in Arizona was um, – was kind of surreal to be honest um you know no your, your normal routine is you go to you go to do a game away from home you go the day before you get up you go to the stadium you call the game this was completely different uh we were out there for seven eight days i think uh leading up to it and there was a little something every day that you had to attend or or, or um you know uh talk to an Auburn group somewhere and, and, and it was, it was very, very different. The game itself. Um, I, I'm a little nervous before every game that I do it. That's to this day. I'm just, I, I still get a few butterflies. Um, I had a ton of butterflies before my first game after Jim five passed away. It was, ugh. Whew. yeah, that one, I, I was surprised I was able to talk, but that game I had more butterflies than 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 my first ever game as as Auburn's football play by play announcer, and the reason why is that you knew that particularly if Auburn won, whatever you said during from kickoff to the end of the game would be magnified tenfold. Every big play, good or bad, um, and I think the whole crew was that way. Our whole Stan White, Clint Riggins, uh, the whole crew. That uh, that some that that were part that were part of the team then, um, I think we all felt the same way, and um, the game and, and and I never ever ever, and I haven't I did I had not done it up to that point and I haven't done it since. I never ever had written down all right if Auburn wins, this is what I need to say. I've never done that. But I was sitting back there about two hours before kickoff in the, in the little press area, and I got to thinking, Rod, if Auburn wins, you better not screw it up because that thing's going to be played over and over and over. So on a little notepad, I wrote down what I wanted to say, um, and I and I and I tore it out of the little notebook pad and I put it in my pocket. And as we were right as we were getting to the end of the game, I took it out, I laid it in front of me. Um, of course, Auburn kicks the. I mean, it's a, it's a last second deal, so it kind of threw, it kind of sort of threw out the window what I was going to say because my plan was, well, Auburn will be up, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll count the clock down, and you know, but no, it was, it was pretty dramatic. Um, I didn't even look at the sheet of paper because of the way the game ended, but what you hear in the final call is pretty much what I had written down. But I've never done that before, and I haven't done it since. Even in 2013, when Auburn played in the championship game, um, I didn't write anything down. Uh, but I knew that I'd better write something down this time because uh, God had been since 1957 since Auburn had won a national championship. But yeah, it was a bundle of nerves from start to finish. I mean, it just really, really was. And interesting story from that game. And I'm sure if you've watched the game, you remember this play. The best. And, and and I, I rarely, I rarely toot my own horn, but my best call in that game is one that you will never hear, never hear replayed, because it got overturned. It was the long Michael Dyer run for a touchdown, 
with about a minute and a half, two minutes to go in the game. And they called it a touchdown, and they came back to review it, and they they overturned it, said his knee was down. Well, I guess it was about a minute to go in the game, actually, because it was was down there when they kicked the field goal. But uh, I turned to Stan White on the radio. I was like, man, oh, man, I hope they don't overturn this call, because that was a really good call. (laughs) (laughs) And they overturned it. So you'll never hear that call uh, anywhere. Uh, but uh, that would have been the touchdown that would have sealed the victory, but but it got overturned. You know, we had Wes Durham on the pod a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I asked him this question about doing the Super Bowl. Um, from a preparation standpoint, when you're doing a game of that magnitude, I and mean, you're there for seven days, and there's so much going on, and you're at all these events where you're learning and talking and seeing and doing, and there's obviously tons of media, like it's almost too much birthday, um, and you're nervous enough as it is, uh, how do you get yourself or how did you get yourself in the right mindset to just call the game and tune out enough noise so that you're not overloaded and you, you, you're buried under your own prep, but that you, you've right. done enough prep so that you are actually prepared? You know, I think the whole thing, from a preparation standpoint, I'll start there, from a preparation standpoint, you must keep your routine. It's just like a team getting ready for a game. You can't just because you're playing for a national championship, you need to do this on Monday because you've always done it on Monday. You need to do this on Tuesday just because you always do it this way on Tuesday and leading up to a game. Um, it's the same thing for – that would be my advice to, to, to a play-by-play guy, no matter what the, the magnitude of the game is. Um, that week it was a little more difficult because the schedule was a little wackier. Um but I tried to each day do what I normally would do, two days out, three days out, um, and that's the key. Now, when you get to game day for something like that, uh, it is even though you're nervous and you're. I listen. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it's not. It's not your typical game. It's not. It's not even the Iron Bowl. It's not. You know, an SEC championship game. It's different. It's different. So you do. You are. You know. You're. You're, you're more nervous than you probably normally would be. But because you have your prep has been the same as close as possible leading up to the game, I think that helps. It doesn't help 15 seconds before you're supposed to start talking because you're like, oh my God, here we go. <laughs> I mean, this, I mean, I'm I'm really about to do this. We're really about to do this. But I think that first, I tell you, when I remember the nerves settling down a little bit in that game, was um, I can't remember. I, I've I can't remember if it was a big defensive play or a big offensive play that Auburn made. I, I wish I wish I could tell you, but it was that first big positive moment in the game that that you kind of got. Okay, this is all right. This is just like any other game in the sense of how you how you're going to call this thing. Um, it it, but I think it all goes back to routine, and that's what I tell you know I uh, kids in in communications classes here that they want to get into this business, whether it be radio or TV. I was like, you know, it, go, it goes back to your question about passion. I tell them there are two P's that they have to be concerned about. If you can handle these two P's, you'll be successful. And that's passion and preparation. Um, you know, the preparation you can control 110%. And uh, you rather over-prepare than under-prepare. And uh, I think the fact that if you're able to develop a routine in your preparation, that gets you ready to handle 
whether it be a national championship game or a Super Bowl broadcast, it, it just the routine part of the preparation helps you helps you the most, I think. All right, we'll get you back to Rod Bramblett here in just a second because we are about to talk about the kick six. But before we do that, I want to take a quick second to tell you about audible.com. Listen. We all listen to audio. We're all in audio. You're listening to a podcast right now. And when I drive in the car for really long distances and I get through podcasts or I listen to a couple of podcasts and I need to change something up, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm just looking for a good audiobook, something that's going to really carry me over the course of a longer period of time. And I've actually found audiobooks as podcasts before. I've, I've listened to some Agatha Christie, like, book on tape podcast type things in the past, but this is far better than that. It's audible.com. They have over 180,000 titles for you to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. And for listeners of PXPCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook for you to keep if you check out audible.com. Listen, we talk on this podcast all the time about how do you get a better vocabulary? How do you get more well-read? How do you have a more worldly view on things? Well, look, you read. Read books, read magazines, read things. If you don't have time to read, have somebody read to you. And that is what audible.com is all about. To download your free audiobook today, head to audibletrial.com. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E trial.com slash P-X-P-Cast. That's audibletrial.com slash P-X-P-Cast for your free audiobook. Now back to Rod Bramlett. Let's talk about a moment that you couldn't possibly have prepared for, though. Uh, and this is not a national championship moment, and that's ironic because it's probably the most famous call you've had. Um, do, do you remember anything about the kick six or did you just kind of like go into a euphoric, what the heck is happening state? And afterward, you're like, wow, that was cool. (laughs) You know, it's, it's interesting because I'll go back two weeks, uh, to the, to the, um, yeah, (laughs) Ricardo catch against Georgia, which by the way, is one of my least people ask me, what are your favorite calls? That more that, that, that's a game against Georgia's got to be one of your favorites. I was like, it's one of my least favorites. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, because I, it caught me completely off guard. And I'm sure that's part of the charm of the call. I don't know, but I just didn't like the call itself. So I spent the next two weeks after that game, uh, answering the question when I was on, um, the various shows because then there wasn't a game between Georgia and Alabama. It was an open date. So it was two weeks of just build up to the iron bowl. And, um, I bet you I asked, answered this question a million times. Um, you know, well, do you think, uh, the way the, the Alabama game could top the ending of the Georgia game? And my answer was like, no way. There's no <laughs> way. I mean, look at all those about to lose this game. And they just threw up a prayer and da, 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 da. And my answer was always, there's no way. There's no way. I would always say, now, it's going to be a great game. And it was. <laughs> it was a great game without kick six. It was a. It was one of the best. It, to me, and this this would, around these parts, would tick off a lot of the old-timers, it was the best Iron Bowl ever played without kick six because it was headed to overtime. That's never happened. All that was on the line that night nationally um, but the call itself, I think 
I think because of what happened against Georgia, I was a little more prepared. Now, did I remember what I said? Absolutely not. No <laughs> idea. I turned to our producer, um, and I asked her, I was like, I said, Jesse, I said, I think I know what I said, but I'm not 100% sure. I hope I didn't screw it up. And she's like, no, I think you did okay. <laughs> she said, you didn't cuss or anything. Um, but uh, in the moment, no, no, I had no idea. And I did not hear the whole call uh, in its entirety where I could actually hear it until I was in my car on the way home. They played it up on the big um video screen at the end when all the people were on the field and I could hear the beginning of it. But as the call went along, the, you know, the, the crowd noise was, was just incredible, which is again, a moment I'll never forget the, the crowd reacting to that replay. Um, but no, I didn't really hear the call in its entirety until I was on my way home that night. You know, you talk about the Georgia call, the, the 73 yard touchdown catching you off guard a little bit. When did you realize in the kick six like, this is more than just we put a guy back yeah. there to return. Like, at what point did it dawn on you, oh, my gosh, like, this is going to be a big deal? Interesting story there that I, that I like to share. I, was, I didn't even – it did not even cross my mind as Alabama was lining up to kick the field goal that Auburn could put a guy in the back of the end zone to return it. Um, my longtime spotter, Bo Benton, um, handed me a Post-it note and said, hey, Rod, don't forget, keep an eye out, see if Auburn puts a guy back there. They can, If it comes up short, we, you know, we can run it out. I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. And it's right at the front of the so, call, too. So you're like, you were right on top of, of it. Well, and, and, and when you hear the call, and I said, well, I guess, you know, when, you know Auburn, Auburn calls timeout. They change. They take Ryan Smith out of the game, and they put Chris Davis in the back of the end zone because Chris was a little faster runner. Um, and, and two, they call timeout to, to hopefully freeze the, the kicker. Um, but when you hear me say, well, I guess they can, Auburn can run it out if, you know, if it comes up short, that's, that's because my spotter handed me the note to remind me of that. I mean, it's, uh, it just kind of goes to show you how there are a bunch of moving parts yeah. in the booth at any given moment. But when he, when Chris Davis got just shy of midfield, and this is looking back on it now. When he got just shy of midfield, I knew he was gone. And you could hear Stan White, my color partner, say, scream, oh, my God. Well, that's when I really knew he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, another interesting story, Stan, after he says, oh, my God, people often say, man, I can't believe how he was able to hold it together. You know, I mean, he, I mean, you could you could hear him scream, "Oh my God!" and and then he was just able to, you know, actually calm himself down. I was like, "You listen." He didn't calm himself down. My engineer turned his mic off, <laughs> <laughs> and that's an honest to goodness true story. Our engineer turned Stan's mic off, and if you get into if you get in like a a quiet room or something, you're listening to the call on your computer or wherever. If you listen close, you can still hear Stan just absolutely going nuts uh, because great. you're picking up his screaming through through my microphone, and um, it uh, it was uh, it was an amazing moment. And um, you know, I, I, I tell people this, you know, listen, it's just right place and right time. There were three, actually, four people that that called that play 
myself, Eli Gold, Alabama's play-by-play announcer, of course, Vern Lundquist, and there was also national radio there. Adam Amin. Adam Amin. That's it. They're right in front of me. And uh, at that time, Adam Amin was not Adam Amin. You know what I mean? He was, he was, he was very talented. You knew he was, he was going to be a really good broadcaster. But I'll never forget, uh, after the game, before I had to go down and, and do the post-game stuff that I normally do, uh, Adam comes up. And they were out on the photo deck in front of us broadcasting. He comes up in the press box. He said, Rod, i got to get a picture. He said, <laughs> he said i got to get a picture with the field behind us because I think we're going to remember this day and talk about this day for the rest of our lives. And uh, so now, every time I see Adam, we, we, we reminisce every single time. And uh, it's it, uh, created a nice little bond. But uh, there are so many little, little stories like that involving different people, whether it be professionally or fans that that were at that game, that that stories that are being told, and then and then all the videos that you see uh, from people who are watching the game uh, on YouTube and their reaction. It's just. Um, yeah, I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't know, and I know you're supposed to never say never, but uh, <laughs> I just don't, I just don't see how there can be another finish or moment like that, considering everything that was on the on the line. Right, that's that what night. you said after the Georgia game, Rod. That's <laughs> right. I was wrong then, but little did I know. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just amazing. It's it is really just amazing, and um, the following. It's funny. And you know how it is. That time of year, you're going from football right into basketball in November. So, you know, we we call the game on Saturday. Um, I go back home, um, and I have to get right back up and leave right after lunch out of the Auburn airport on a team charter to go to Ames, Iowa with the basketball team. I mean, it's just like you go from this really big high to – calling a basketball game at Iowa State that Auburn was going to lose by 40, and they did. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just you, you – but that Sunday night and Monday, particularly during the day, that Monday after the Iron Bowl was, was surreal as well because all of a sudden the, 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 the realization kicked in of how big a deal it was. It really didn't kick in immediately. I thought, yeah, great finish, greatest finish ever in the Iron Bowl, one of the best – I mean, but you didn't realize – what an impact it had across the country. And um, Monday, Monday following the Iron Bowl was just amazing. My morning started at 6 a.m. I had to do a, a thing on Fox and Friends via the phone. And then it was just back-to-back-to-back-to-back interviews up until we went to the basketball game that night, that Monday night. And um, it was the only time in my career before and since that I wish I really had some sort of administrative assistant to, <laughs> to schedule all this all this stuff but uh it's it's something that i'll never forget and uh certainly I'd, I'd be lying to you it's career changing and um you know it's just um I, i'm so honored to to have been a part of it and honored that hopefully it didn't screw it up too bad and honored that it means so much now to um to the auburn fan base because it it you know it's still you know Gosh, five years later, when I go to Auburn clubs, they want they want to talk about that again. Tell us again about that moment. And, uh, it'll it'll never get old. Uh, let me take you, if I can, from the uh, the incredibly uh, high high of a play like that to just the mundane. Um, what is uh, what is just 
what's a good call to you on a first down? Like what is what's good football or basketball or baseball for that matter, however you want to spin it, uh, yeah, on, on the yeah. radio? As long as somebody listening knows can picture in their mind and listen, I'm not I'm not one of these guys like a Jim Fife or John Ward or Jack Crystal. I mean, those guys they they could paint a picture at a different level because they you know they grew up in a time where radio was was the main medium for people to to follow these games. Hmm. I grew up in a time where TV was more prevalent. So I mean, the, the picture painting part of it, I'm I, I'm, I'm not even I'm trying to compare myself to that. But I think if when I'm listening to a game and I'm just listening to a game, uh, I want to know. I want to be able to predict uh, picture. Uh, I, I want to be able to picture the play. So you better tell me who's got the ball, which direction they're running, how many yards quickly. I mean, you just don't you don't call the play. He's down. That's a first down. I want to know right then. He, he picks up seven yards in a first down uh, over right tackle. And then I want to know the time. And then you know what? If I hadn't heard the score in a while, I want to know. I want to know the score pretty quick. And 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 I say that like I'm able to do that every single time, but I'm not. You, you're not. You're not perfect. But I think I think that's the key. If if I'm sitting there listening. I know that Auburn is running from right to left on the football field, that Carrion Johnson just got the handoff. He ran over the right side, broke a tackle, picks up six yards, and a first down. It's first and ten at the whatever. Hmm. Twelve two to go, Auburn leads seven to nothing. I mean that's it's it's not rocket science. It really isn't. But, you know, as a broadcaster and I I'm challenged with it today. You talk about the mundane the routine, or even the bad. The bad is the hardest part for me. It's the hardest part for me because uh, of the of the fan and the passion. Sure. I have that fan, that fan passion. Um, you can't, you can be the big time homer and go nuts when something great's happening, but you, 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 the fans want to know that you're hurting like they are, but you can't go into fan negativity either. So there's a line you have to stop at. And, and to me, sometimes that's, that's still a challenge when something uh, bad happens, something unfair happens when, when an umpire fails to call strike three on a pitch that's right down the middle. And then the next pitch, the guy hits a home run and you get beat. I mean, those things are still a challenge for me and I'm 52 years old, (laughs) but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, People, people, it's not rocket science, but but it's also not everybody can do what we do, and the only way we do what we do in a in a consistent, good way, I think, is just repetition and doing it over and over and over and over and over and over. It's no, there's no secret formula. The more you do it, if you care about it and you're prepping and you have passion, the more you do it, the better you should get at the at the at the mundane stuff. Um, so I don't know. That's an awful long answer for a simple question. So. <laughs> no, no, it's perfect. Uh, I, I want to broach one more subject with you kind of along those lines as well, uh, before I wrap things up. And that's just, uh, how you kind of, I, what, what your professional development, I guess, is like even today. I mean, how much you, 
listen back to your own stuff or, or, right. or continue to get better and continue to improve and, uh, you know, be the best version of yourself every day? I think the key for any guy, any person in any job is be able to, to handle criticism, constructive criticism. Um, and for us in this, in this business, that can be hard um, because, you know, we all have egos. We wouldn't, you know, that's another thing. It's, we all have egos. We, I mean, in this business, you know, you, you do this long enough and, and uh, you know, you, you get a little bit of an ego. Now, how you handle that ego varies. Some guys don't handle it very well. Some others guys, you know, you know, remain pretty humble. And, and, and so, you know, taking self-criticism can be tough, but I think letting your peers listen to your, your stuff and say, Hey, you know, this was good. Here's how I would have done this. I like the way you did that. I'm going to start doing it that way. I think that's a, that's a good thing. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm constantly looking for every year when this time of year, uh, June and July, um, summertime, it, it slows down. So all of a sudden I go into, okay, how can I make my spotting board better? Let me look at this. I'm going to play around with some stuff. I, I was just, uh, exchanging emails with uh, Tony Castricone, the uh, play-by-play voice of Washington, new, new play-by-play voice out there, and I saw he posted on Twitter. He was working on his spotting boards, and he had a picture of them. And I said, okay, that looks kind of neat. It's a little different than I do it. So I reach out to him hmm. and, uh, and and say, hey, can you send me you know a copy of that? Well, I've looked at it. And you know what? I've compared it to what I've done. It's like, no, nah, I still like my stuff. <laughs> but I mean, I do. I mean, but I mean, it's the it's the it, it's it's never ending. Every baseball season, I'm like, okay, I make my own scorebook and I print them out myself, and I say, okay, how can I make this better? How can I make this easier for me? Uh, the older I get, the bigger the print is. That's for sure because my eyesight gets worse and worse. But I mean, it's just that never ending, the, the, you know, desire and need to to try and. Um, improve you what you do or how you do it um for me i find myself looking at different ways i can prepare better uh more efficiently uh the older you get i mean you know the older you get you know when you're young and and enthusiastic and and really really passionate about it and you'd work on it 24 hours a day the older you get you're looking for ways to still prep prep effectively um but more efficiently too. Um, I, I just think that the, again, a long answer for a simple question, but to shorten it up, I just think you just, you have to keep an open mind and realize, you know what? I don't care. You know, I'm, I may have been doing baseball at all for 26 years and football and basketball for 15 and play by play in general for 30. But you know what? I don't know everything. I don't even know half of everything. I don't even know a third of everything about being a good broadcaster and play-by-play guy. And so you just need to keep that open mind and, and listen, this is not an original, original sport or original business. Everybody copies everybody. You hear some, you know, that's why I love satellite radio. I love listening to guys call baseball games on, and for the different major league teams and go, yeah. wow, I've never, th- I've never thought about describing it that way. That's I'm going to use that. So I think we all can feed off of one another and learn from one another and, and, um, you know, to use a, an old, I can't remember who said this. Was it Hillary Clinton? Takes a village. It takes a village. I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, no, she might have said it. I do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What, I can't remember who said that. But anyway, I think, it, you know, as as a group, 
Um, we're play by play guys are part of a really cool fraternity and we get to do a lot. We get to do what a lot of people wish they could do. Um, and it's our responsibility. I think it's our responsibility to keep getting better and keep offering a product to our fan base, whatever that fan base may be, offer our fan base, uh, a better product every, you know, every time we go out, not always successful in doing that, but you got to keep trying. Rod, if people want to uh, track you down on social media or catch the Auburn Tigers, uh, how do they go about finding you? Well, you know, I'd say social media is an interesting beast, isn't it? I tell you, it's, uh, again, it's something I didn't have to deal with when I first started. But, uh, you know, I haven't gotten into the Instagram stuff yet. I have an Instagram account. Uh, I think it's the same as my Twitter account. But uh, on Twitter, it's voice of uh, AU Tigers. Um, I've been told I better start doing Instagram because it's fall. So you may see me a little bit more on Instagram. So anyway, that's, 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 how, that's how you can follow me. And that will do it from St. Louis where the score is inconclusive.